Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal-crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at ColleenPilar.com. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. My guest today is Laura Perkins of Laura Perkins Animal Behavior. That's a very easy business name to remember. So thanks for joining me today, Laura. Thanks for having me. So you're based in Chelsea, Michigan, which is near Ann Arbor. How long have you been there? Because you've had a a winding road to wind up where you are. Yeah, uh, we've been here, I think, five, five and a half years And before that, where were you? We lived in Portland, Oregon for five years. And then before that, I was in Texas doing my master's degree. And I grew up in central Illinois. Kind of a great big loop. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. A loop. So tell me about your journey to become a dog trainer and behaviorist. Well, I was always interested in animals and especially dogs. So I started doing dog training in 4-H when I was seven or eight, I guess eight. And that sort of led me to some more positive reinforcement-based mentors who got me going with agility and clicker training and things like that. So I started doing that in high school. I went to the University of Illinois and studied animal science with the thought that I might want to be a vet. But I had worked at a vet in high school and I just was always more interested in the learning side of things than the medical side of things. Mm-hmm. So even though I really liked that too, it was the behavior that caught my attention. So we had a few classes in behavior in undergrad, um, but I didn't feel like I got the full picture. So <laughs> I decided to go to grad school um, And yeah, some of my mentors in undergrad helped me find uh, Jesus Rosales Ruiz. So that was my advisor for graduate school at University of North Texas. And so what was the driving passion that made you say, oh, no, I need more. I need to go to get a postgraduate degree in this. Yeah, I just never felt like I understood what was going on all the way. and I mean, of course, we're still learning that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's no no end-all, be-all answers. But I just didn't feel like I had the um, the knowledge of like how the how learning actually worked, and how can you make it easier or faster or more enjoyable. Um, yeah. So I think that was the thing that really captured my attention, and the application just happened to be dogs because I was so interested in dogs. So Mm -hmm. how the learning actually works. I think that's really the mystery that we're exploring in the last several decades that it seems 
obvious. Like everyone knows how learning works. Like we all learn. And yet the more the science comes out, the more we realize we don't actually know how learning works very well. We're, we're figuring it out. We're seeing patterns, but the, the brain science is changing dramatically all the time. For sure. For sure. And that is beyond where (laughs) I've studied. So, you know, I kind of stopped at the environment, like Mm -hmm. behavior analysis. And I think that probably neuroscience and things, genetics are sort of the layer under that. Like if you keep peeling back and I think someday we'll understand how they work together. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to explore there. Mm -hmm. And, and even just from the aspect of environment, that learning has changed dramatically from like from when I started training to now. I mean, I don't think anyone used the word enrichment when I started training. And that was not, not a phrase, you know, people would be like, you know, you need to walk your dog or go throw a ball sometimes, but not the idea of like, how can we make this environment more enriching? How can we set the environment up for success? How can we help an animal thrive by really looking at what is in this environment and how is it affecting behavior? Absolutely. I think thinking about all that antecedent stuff is much newer than thinking about what the consequences are Mm -hmm. for sure. That's very specific and there just aren't that many people who want to dive fully into a postgraduate degree and all of the studies and all of the research and all of those abstracts and all the big words and boring sentences. So <laughs> tell me what was the part that just would excite you and light you up and be like, oh, more. I need to know more. I think every time I learned something in the like, science side of things that helped me understand an experience like a training training experience I'd observed or something that had happened with my dogs growing up doing training that was sort of like I get this now this Mm -hmm. is so cool so I think I started to understand why some things happened that I didn't didn't really get before you know I mean I sort of knew like an example was when I learned about the poisoned cue. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I started in 4-H and we did a lot of like choke chain training and we mixed in treats sometimes, you know, and my dog didn't really like it. She kind of went along with it, but I don't think she enjoyed it. And when we started doing clicker training, I really got a lot more joy out of her. But going back to the, um, like the show ring was poisoned. Mm -hmm. kind of forever and when I was a kid I just thought oh this is so sad we we've been doing so well when we're practicing and I don't understand why she gets she like reverts back when we go to a dog show and when I learned about the poison cue I was like that's what was happening with Libby so Mm -hmm. that sort of kind of understanding some of those things that I had observed was really what kept me like super interested yeah, you can really see the application within the learning right there as you're doing it because you're like, oh, that actually has been relevant in my life. Yeah, yeah. Were you doing any training at the time that you were in grad school, or did the training come later? I wasn't doing. I wasn't doing any professional training. I did it after I graduated, but we were doing training projects all the time with our pets and um, some animals at the 
local sanctuary and things like that. And then you worked at a sanctuary or a shelter when you were in Oregon. Is that correct? Yeah, I worked at the um, county animal shelter. Um, So animal control was housed in our building. And then we also uh, adopted dogs. I saw in your bio that you had a program to help volunteers learn what to train. And I'm going to totally ask you a selfish question right now. Um, I'm currently just tangentially, mostly an observer involved with a program that um, some teenagers are working with dogs. And the goal is less dog training and more social emotional learning. So I'm curious from the perspective of the biggest bang for your buck, what skills do you think would be really valuable to teach the kids, to teach the dogs that would be just so easy for them to learn and actually start seeing their magic? Oh, that's a really fun question. Well, I can sort of think about what I always teach clients to get them to meet success quickly. And like the hand target behavior, the touch behavior is one of the first things I have my clients teach for that reason. The dogs pick it up really fast. It's usually something they don't have a history with. So Mm -hmm. you're not fighting that, like whatever, however they were taught sit, you're not fighting against (laughs) the dog's previous experiences. And I think there's a lot of different applications for that behavior. So that's one of my favorites is just hand touch. And then probably the next one is like orienting towards the person, not like eye contact locked in or anything, but just Mm -hmm. focus on the person. And I don't know, it seems like that it's not only helpful because you have your dog's attention and you can ask for other things, but I feel like as humans, we really like it when our dogs look at us. (laughs) It's really very reinforcing. Very reinforcing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying so hard not to walk in with all of my dog trainer opinions because they're doing, it's a good program and they don't need me. And I'm like, but, oh, wait. Uh, so I, yeah. thank you for indulging me there. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're a solo practitioner, right? It's just you running your business. What are some of the pieces of that that are awesome for you? What do you like about having your own business? Oh, I love that um, my hours are flexible. (laughs) That's like one of the main draws for doing things this way. Just fits our lifestyle really well. And then I think I also like getting to be creative with the business side of things, which I didn't expect when I started doing this. Um, But I do like trying to figure out like, oh, what's the best way to offer this information to my clients and I'm kind of always working on improving that. So I really like that. And so now you know where I'm going to go next. What's not so great (laughs) in your own business. (laughs) Yeah. There's downsides too, for sure. Um, I think um, being the only one is hard sometimes, you know, an obvious example is if I get sick or something, it's me. Um, mm-hmm. so to reschedule and things like that. But I think related to that is sometimes it can feel isolating if you're not proactive about connecting with other people. So I've been in that position before where I felt just like I'm operating in a silo and I don't know 
I don't have anybody to talk to or bounce ideas off of. So I've kind of gotten better at building a network so that doesn't happen all the time, but it can still feel isolating occasionally. Yeah. And the way you say that with the past tense and the I've gotten better at building a network, that's a, a difficult and vulnerable skill for some people. So I'm curious, what has helped you to build that network and to put yourself out there and sort of say to people, I'd, I'd like to have people to bounce things off of? Yeah, I think so. When I lived in Oregon, in Portland, there was a really awesome trainer network there. And I think the way I discovered it was through, I did Terry Ryan's chicken camp. She came into town for four days and that was, and I lived in Portland for three or four years, you know, for quite a while, but I finally connected with other trainers that way and learned about the, the sort of the network they had. They actually did monthly talks where we took turns sharing something that we were experts at. And I met a lot of people that way. So I think that was sort of where I realized like, well, I need to put some effort into building these relationships and it's really fun and it feels good (laughs) Mm -hmm. to know other people and talk to them about this. So when we moved, that was a big priority for me because I felt like I had sort of just found that in Portland and I was losing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've kept in touch with a lot of those people through the internet, but it's not the same as being able to meet up in person sometimes. So when I moved here, (laughs) I just got on the APDT trainer search and started emailing people. (laughs) It was definitely outside of my comfort zone to do that, but it was really, really cool. And I've made some good friends that way. Yeah. It's really powerful to do that. I I did the same thing. The Mm -hmm. APDT search a million years ago now, but I just wanted to kind of meet a few more trainers in the area. And we developed what we called the lunch bunch. And it was awesome. It was a bunch of trainers and we tried monthly and then it eventually became quarterly. But just to have people to talk to who who got it, who, who knew all the pieces of what the work was like. Um, and everyone was really nice about it when I emailed them. I was so afraid to email them for fear they'd be like, I don't have time for that. But it was great. And several people introduced me to another person. So it it grew from there from, you know, my tiny little forays got bigger from there. Yeah, I had the same experience where I was connected with other people. And I learned a lot about like, what's already being offered in this area, and what's missing. And that's that helped me too to from a business standpoint of like, where do I fit into the puzzle so that we can all share in this? Yeah. And we can all share in this, I think is such a good, such a good concept. Most dogs never, ever see a trainer. And so to feel like we're in competition with the other trainers versus like, oh, there are actually ways that we can all, you know, what do you love to do? What do I love to do? And like, personally, I do not love separation anxiety. I will happily hand those to others. Please, please take those. And I know there are trainers who adore that work. And so to be able to say, you know, let's build something where we can each kind of work toward our strengths. Yeah. Yeah. I do think thinking of the trainers around you as your community that you're sharing with is Mm -hmm. 
a really helpful approach. Yeah, you're right. There's, we're never going to run out of dogs to train. Mm -hmm. And if we do, I mean, Yahoo, (laughs) (laughs) there's other ways to apply animal training concepts. So I don't think any of us are going to run out of work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I always ask guests to share some, some words that are meaningful to them. And you have this quote from, and and I will admit to everyone that I might be butchering this name, but Goethe, I believe is how we say it. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe was a German philosopher and all the other things, poet, playwright, all the things. He did all the things. So this quote from Goethe is, whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has beauty, magic, and power in it. And I love that. I love the energy in that quote and the a little bit of the mystery and the action part of it. So tell me, when did you come across this quote and why did it resonate with you in a way that made you hold it? So my mom's good friend was making little quote artwork and my mom bought that one for me when I was in undergrad, I think. And I had never heard it before that, but I just thought that is really cool. (laughs) And I think one of the things that draws me to it is that sometimes I don't feel very bold. And so it's really good encouragement (laughs) because Mm -hmm. if I kind of look back to that every time, like the meeting people in the new area or other trainers around you is a good example. Like that required a little bit of boldness that was outside of my comfort zone, but it's paid off. you know, I can't even measure how I've, what I've gotten from that small action. So to me, it's sort of just a reminder that like, hey, take the first step and then the rest can unfold. I think in behavior analysis, I remember when I started graduate school at our orientation, one of the older students, they were like giving advice if they wanted to. (laughs) um, She said, press the lever, (laughs) just take the first step, like, you know, as a reference to Mm -hmm. rats in the Skinner box, press the lever. And that sort of goes along the same lines to me is just taking that first step. A lot of times is all you have to do and the rest just unfolds. Yeah. There's, there is lovely action in that quote. There's so many layers actually in this quote. So the, whatever you can do or dream, you can begin it. So even that piece, like you don't have to know you can do it, right. whatever you can do or dream, you can begin it. Are you a person who, who visualizes like what you want, what you think like, Ooh, maybe. Definitely. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm a, I'm a daydreamer dreamer. I really enjoy kind of thinking about like, what are the big picture things what could this be um Mm -hmm. and so yeah sometimes it's way out of reach when it's an idea the first time and allowing it to be way out of reach and still to exist like to as an idea it's kind of cool to say like "Ah, it's way out of reach but i can think about that and see it I, i can begin it yeah 
So tell me again what it was that your your mom's friend was making. What what did this quote arrive in your life on? Was it a pillow or a framed thing? It's a what? framed. It's a framed collage kind of thing. Yeah. And do you still have it? I do. I'm in the process of moving my office to my building, so I'm not sure where it is, but I do have it. <laughs> so it has stayed with you these years. Yes. Yes. Does your mom know that this is meaningful to you? I don't know. I mean, I think that she did at one time. I don't know if she knows that I still keep it. So how does this quote help you? I think when I get stuck, um, I tend it tends to be like overwhelmed with too many things that I have that I want to do. And so I think that this quote kind of the action part of it, I think helps um, because I think that I get stuck by like, Oh, I want to do this and this and this, and I have all of these ideas, and I, which one am I going to act on? And then I kind of get paralyzed <laughs> in decision fatigue or whatever. Um, and so I think this quote helps me remember, like, okay, you have to like do something, and then the rest can happen. So pick one, focus on one thing, and do it. Yeah, I like that for this quote too, because I'm a person who wants to know the right way to do everything. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me that there isn't a right way. There's like a get started, get going, <laughs> and things will unfold. Yes. Boldness has beauty, magic, and power in it. Yes. <laughs> sitting around waiting for the right way has no beauty, magic, or power. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Although I think the dreaming part has a lot of beauty, magic, and power in it too, you know, but then at some point you have to like take a step. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a nice distinction that you've just made there. Cause yes, absolutely. Dreaming has those elements to it. And I think for me, the moment it shifts is when the dream sort of solidifies and then I'm like, okay, so that's what I would like, but I don't know how to get there. So I'm just going to wait around for the right way to magically appear. And then the the beauty, magic, and power kind of fizzle. Um, but the, the visioning piece is so important. And then the commitment of like, begin it. Yeah. And, and that's all he's saying is begin it. Yeah. You don't have to do the whole thing. <laughs> just start. Begin. Yeah. yeah. Start where you are and dive in. Mm-hmm. So if we all did that just a little bit more, what do you think the effects of that would be for for pet professionals? I think that we would be surprised at what we could do. I mean, that's the the effect it's had for me. So I think, I don't know, that's sort of like a <laughs> maybe a self-centered view of like, oh, this is how it's helped me. Maybe that's how it'll help everyone. But I think like just being able to kind of start something and see where it leads. I think it's always surprised me where it leads to like, wow, it actually did get me there eventually, or maybe it didn't get me to the thing I envisioned, but it got me to something maybe better or similar at least. Yeah. One of my brother's favorite phrases is this or something better. So whenever he's wishing for something. He's like, this is what I want. But if not that, then something better. And so he's like always leaving it open. Like, yeah, we can have a curve in the road. 
totally fine. But I'm going to head toward this goal until until that curve appears. Um, and and the the energy here of like, begin it, try it, do it. What is something that you are surprised at? Um, that like, if we if we send you back to the beginning of your career, you've just graduated, you have your degree, and then I don't know how many years we are we're talking about between then and now. Ten. Ten. Okay, so ten years ago, we send we send you back ten years, and we tell you what your life looks like right now. What does ten years ago you think is so surprising about where you are and what you're doing, and what is she impressed by? I think that she's impressed by the persistence it's taken to get here, <laughs> um, because I, I think I, um, you know, moving was a big setback for my business. Of course, like I had to start over basically, and so and then the pandemic sort of was like a <laughs> a veer right in the middle of that. So that was a big chunk of the time we've lived here in Michigan, and it's turned out to be, you know, I think the you know, for all of us, it was a business boom (laughs) because there were just more puppies and more dogs. So I think I'm finally getting gotten to the point where people know I'm here. People in my community know I'm here. And I, that's been a goal of mine for a long time, like since I, since I graduated from graduate school, but, you know, we learned how to be behavior analysts in graduate school, but we didn't learn how to run businesses. So, um, so I think I really didn't understand what it took to get to that and how to do that. And it's taken a lot of persistence. That's been the hard thing along the way. That's, and it it was a surprise, you know, I mean, I guess I knew that it wasn't going to be like, I get hired somewhere and they funnel all their work to me, but I don't think I realized like how long that could take. So, yeah. So given that that is true for most people, what is your best advice for someone who is feeling like, wow, everything takes so long? I think my best advice is to keep it going somehow. You know, there were times in Oregon where I was just stuck on how to draw in clients and especially clients in the right location. Portland's like a huge metro area. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like driving all over the place and just wasn't very practical, but I was stuck on how to fix that. And in the meantime, I did other jobs so that I could, you know, sort of not worry so much. It took the pressure off of building the business financially. So I, you know, for a few years, I was sort of doing it in addition to a full-time or sometimes part-time job. And I think that wasn't like a failure. And sometimes it felt like it, like, oh, I'm just going to do this instead that I don't really even enjoy (laughs) just a job. But it wasn't. It was just a stepping stone to kind of, it gave me time to figure out how to put the pieces together in a different way. Yeah. When you just said that, it made me think of the writer, Elizabeth Gilbert. And she says that she always promised her writing that she would support the writing and never wanted the writing to have to support her. So that there came a time that she was writing enough and, and, you know, earning enough that her writing could support her, but that in the, in the earlier stages, she had to have some other jobs sometimes 
to be able to do the writing. And with a lot of animal-related careers, people often have some sort of second career that gets their health insurance or pays some bills or just covers some basics. And there's no shame in that. There's no bad part about that if it can give you the space and freedom and comfort to actually keep learning and growing and moving toward the ultimate goal of of having the business that you're that you're dreaming of, you know, whatever you can do or dream you can begin it. You can't you can't begin it at the level where it's like, oh yeah, this totally pays all my bills. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that persistence that you've been building makes it so that that can come mm-hmm. when when we find ways to do that. As I say that, like the little part in the back of my brain is going, that was either helpful or so discouraging for people because there is some of that like, oh, how long and how hard and how much do I have to work to, to get where I'm going? And the reality is we don't ever know. Right. But that boldness sure makes the trip shorter, I think, because it just keeps... It keeps things happening. Yeah. So if you had a magic wand and could wish one thing for all of the pet professionals out there in the world, what would you wish for them? Oh, I would wish for them one thing is not very many. (laughs) Um, I would say, I think I would wish for them that they could take those first steps and whatever that meant um, in their current reality, like take that next first step so that you can let the magic and power take over. It's beautiful. Thank you. So if people wanted to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? I have a website, uh, lauraperkinsanimalbehavior.com. And then I have a Facebook page with the same name. Those are probably the best ways to find me. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com where you can be steady, be strong, and be long.